Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Before we hop into this episode, it's important to acknowledge that being a new grad and a new worker can be really hard sometimes. It's not in your head. It really can be hard. And grad school just doesn't teach us everything that we need to know to be successful in the real world with our jobs. So in order to bridge that gap, we created the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist. This course will fast track you into honing those skills that you need to actually help your clients in an individual setting. It'll save you time when you're trying to figure out what the heck to document. It's going to increase your confidence in your abilities that you are doing this right and give you the tools that you need to be even more effective. And it's going to improve the professional quality of your notes so that when your colleagues and your coworkers read them, they say, wow, that's a really thorough, detailed note. I love it. Let's do this. And it provides clarity on how to help the person. So if this sounds like something you would benefit from, definitely check the link in the show notes for the clinical essentials for the future therapist. With that, let's hop into this episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. It is your host, Catherine, and I am so grateful that you are here. I'm so honored to introduce our guest for this week, Anjanette Young. I really did my best. You know how I like to talk. I did my best to keep my questions to a minimum because I really wanted to give her the platform to share her story in her own voice, in her own words, to let you know What is it that she needs from you in order to help her cause, in order to advocate for justice, in order to prevent more families from being traumatized? So please listen to the end when she makes her call to action. And with that, let's get into this episode. Hello. Hi, Antoinette. Thank you so much for joining me on Social Workers Rise. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. Well, good, good. I'm so glad to hear that. I, I'm just so immensely grateful for you for coming on here. My intention with, you know, having you on the podcast is really to just give you another platform to share your powerful and courageous story. Because when I saw the video, oh my gosh, Angina, I just cried. I was like, this is terrible. And then to read further about the articles that people in Chicago just aren't surprised. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so terrible. So um, 
if people are not familiar with your story, can you just give a brief overview of, of your story? Sure. Um, so my name is Anjanette Young. I am a licensed clinical social worker in the city of Chicago. Um, and at the time of the incident that we're referring to, I was a medical social worker at one of the um, hospitals here in Chicago. And so on February 21st, 2019, I um, just finished um, a shift at the hospital and I'd come home. It was a Thursday evening. Um, I remember it also well because Thursday is my self-care night, right? So as social workers, you know, we have to find those moments where we're, we're taking a break from the world um, to take time to take care of ourselves. And so for me, that was Thursday evenings. Um, and I was just being some TV with some snacks or something and just kind of relax and tune out the world. So on this particular Thursday night, I was um, getting undressed in my bedroom and I immediately hear this uh, like loud bang at my door. It startles me. And so I kind of I'm still in my space. And then it just was continuously. So like bang, 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 a lot of loud bangs. Scary. So, very scary. Um, so I was startled, um, afraid, not sure what was going on. And um, and so I I run um into my living room and try to grab like a jacket to cover myself because at this point I have no clothing on. And before I could do anything, there was just like a swarm of police officers in my home. So um, officers yelling at me, officers, uh, my front room was dark. So officers with big guns that had lights and scopes on them oh and they're yelling, put your hands up, put your hands up. And they're telling, you know, they say Chicago Police Department, put your hands up. And so I do that. And, you know, I at this moment, I'm just like terrified, not sure what's happening. And so I immediately put my hands up. Um, and so the, the small jacket that I did grab to try to cover myself with at this point is now hit the floor. And because I'm so afraid to move, I just let it fall. Um, and then the officers come in, they turn the lights on and they immediately handcuff me um, without you know, really telling me what's happening. So at this point, I'm terrified. I'm crying. I'm screaming at them, asking them what's going on, um, telling them they must have the wrong place. And the reason I was so sure that they had the wrong place is because I live a lifestyle where, you know, for ideally, I would never have an, this type of an experience with the police department. So even though I didn't know what exactly they were looking for or who they were looking for or why they were there, I just told them, you have to have the wrong place. Like, I live by myself. Please tell me what's going on. And so it was kind of a continuation of this for about 35 to 40 minutes. I'm standing there naked. There are police officers all over my home. At some point, um, one officer grabs a blanket to put around me, but because I'm handcuffed and they put the blanket around my shoulder, the rest of the front of my body is still exposed. And so I'm crying and screaming continuously, you know, trying to get a grasp on what's happening, you know, in my home. And, and they never really talk to me, right? So they totally ignore me while they continue to do what it is that they came to do. 
And um, and about 40 minutes in, uh, they finally allowed me to put some clothes on and they sit down and talk to me to try to tell me what, you know, had just happened. And that's kind of how the story ends. They they tell me what happened. They eventually realize that they have the wrong place. Um, they eventually leave my home, you know, with me terrorized, you know, in my home in disarray and not doing very much to repair my home or, you know, give any comfort to me at all. Wow. That is completely terrible. Like as a, as a woman, as someone who has lived alone as a fellow medical social worker, oh my gosh, I just, I can't even fathom. I can't even, I, like, I'm just, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Um, and I'm just kind of wondering, you know, given such a traumatic experience, what made you decide to go public and seek out that first writer of the first news station? So um, that after that, that evening, after they had left and of course I, ca- I called family um, and I called. Um, so I'm a woman of faith. And uh, my faith in my church is so important in my life and my care and my support. So initially that night, I called, you know, I called um, one of the ministers from my church. He immediately came over, um, you know, and was there, you know, to offer me comfort and support. And um, and the next day, the same thing. And so I was able to connect with an attorney like a couple of days later. Um, because in the moment, because of what had happened and because of the way they did not resolve anything when they left my home that night, I was just like, this can't be legal. Mm. I need to seek out an attorney um, because this just went complete. This has to be wrong. Like this has to be illegal. Mm-hmm. And even in that moment with me not really understanding the legal ramifications of what they did. I just felt so strongly that what they did was wrong, that I was wronged um, in that incident and that the way they handled it had to be like wrong and illegal. Mm -hmm. And so I um, was able to connect with an attorney through my church. So my church, Progressive Baptist Church um, here in the city of Chicago, um, they have a social justice and counseling ministry. And so what that ministry does is they, they help people connect with attorneys. They help people connect with counselors um, for different mental health um, and trauma situations. And so I was able to connect with an attorney through that ministry at my church. And so we talked through the incident with my attorney and we immediately started the legal process. At that time, um, that my attorney was just trying to work directly with the city's legal counsel department to, you know, to figure out like what happened and what went wrong and how are they plan, how will they plan to kind of resolve this with me and other people that this had been happening to. And so it was a very long process of dealing with the city and the legal department and getting the type of response that we were hoping for. And we didn't. And so at some point I had seen some stories on the news. So CBS2 here in Chicago 
had been doing a series, their investigation team had been doing a series of wrong raids in the city of Chicago. And so come to find out that what had happened to me had been happening to a series of families around the city. And so they were doing, they were doing a documentary tracking how the city was um, causing harm to their citizens here in the city through these wrong raids and not really um, changing their practices or doing anything to make sure that this didn't continue to happen. So I connected with CBS to Chicago and say, I want to tell my story. Now, why did I want to tell my story in such a public way? One, because I, the night that the incident happened, I felt like I was being ignored because the officers didn't respond to me with any of my questions that I had that night. And two, I felt like I was continually to be ignored by the city because they were not responding or resolving things with my legal team. And so I wanted to get their attention as well as I wanted to expose the city for what they were continuing, what they did to me and what they're continuing to do with many families here in the city of Chicago. So initially, the first story, um, it was just me being interviewed by CBS2 Chicago and their investigative journalist, Dave Savini. And we did an interview and we talked through what happened and then we did that story. Well, initially that story didn't get much attention back and that story ran back in November of 2019. So that story got some local attention, but it didn't get attention of the city and when I say it didn't get the attention of the city, just in the, sense, in the sense that the city still was not working with my legal team to address or resolve what had happened. So that was in November of 2019 when that story aired. And so that was the first story. And because of the great work that CBS2 Chicago does and the great work that... Um, Dave Savini, their um, investigative journalist, um, has done on these stories. He continued to keep my story relevant, and um, and it, you know, and updated the story and continued to play it. Um, and then we, and my legal team continued to fight um, through the process of us fighting. We were requesting um, footage from the body cam which um, is supposed to be a public thing, like the people or the public or citizens um, should have the right to those uh, cameras or those videos. And it's through a four-year act, which is the Freedom of Information Act. So we requested those through the proper channels and the city continued to not respond to us. Mm. And so my attorney um, had to go to court and do all of these legal things that he needed to do for us to get the release of the cameras. And so because this had been such a long process and it continued to go on, um, and at the point that we got um, access to the body cam footage, my attorney and my legal team, we're now um, almost 12 months in to this situation with still no resolution from the city. And so at that point, I made a decision 
or my attorney and I made a decision together that we wanted to do more um, public, you know, public awareness or public revealing of what had happened to force the city to now pay attention to me, which I feel like throughout this entire process, I was ignored by everyone. Mm -hmm. And so, um, even though I knew that it would be very hard um, and re-traumatizing to expose myself in that way, I made a decision that it would be the best thing for my case and the best thing to do to really expose these bad practices that the city of Chicago was doing. Right. Wow. That is... And even, and even to you know, to this day, like we're still, it's still ongoing. And, you know, it just sounds like you and your attorney have been bringing about awareness to this cause, you know, on purpose and for so long. And it sounds like it's been like a very long experience for you. And I'm just kind of wondering what's been the most surprising thing about taking your story public? I think the most surprising thing for me was, um, and this is probably more of my ex- the expectation that I had. So right at the point, my incident happened in February 2019. Um, in May, April or May of that year, we got a new mayor. And she was an African-American woman. And a woman that I had voted for based on how she ran her campaign and her platform, um, and she ran on, you know, telling us citizens, telling the people of Chicago that she was going to be someone who was going to um, make reform in the city of Chicago. And she ran on a, um, on a campaign promise of being transparent and, you know, making reforms and changing some of the bad habits that were going on with the city and other departments in the city. And so the most surprising thing to me is me expecting that she would, you know, get information about what happened to me and that she would do something about it. And unfortunately that did not happen. Um, And so as we made everything um, public, you know, so much information came out about the things, the her lack of response to me. So when my story aired in November of 2019, she was made aware of it um, as a new mayor who had, you know, just been sworn into office and she ignored it. Mm. It, it came across her desk. She read the email. She responded to the email and did nothing about it. We only found that out in the last three months when everything went public. And she was kind of forced to respond to me and my legal team. And we found out that she did nothing back in November of 2019 when she had an opportunity to address it at that point. And her legal team continued to just ignore my legal team. So I would say that's the most surprising part to me. It's feeling like another African-American woman in a position of power, in a position where she could respond to me and other um, children and family who have experienced this, and she didn't. That's terrible. 
Yeah, that's really terrible. I, I saw, you know, a news article about how you had requested a meeting with her, but that meeting never actually happened. And gosh, I can't even imagine, you know, how disappointing and disheartening that must have been. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just the entire way that the city has responded uh, to me or the lack of their response to me in the way that they have handled my case um, has been very disappointing overall. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, you know, at this point with taking your story public, what are you hoping to accomplish? What are what changes are you wanting to see right now? So there are um, a few things that we have in place. Uh, my legal team, when I say we, that I'm not able to discuss the details of, but the, the things that ha- we have been very um, kind of open and transparent with the public about is that we're wanting the city to be held accountable for what they have done with me and my experience, hold them accountable for the other families that have had similar experiences. And so what does accountability mean? Meaning the officers who were involved um, should be disciplined at some point. So we do um, know that, you know, here in the city of Chicago and probably in most places, so police officers are covered by a very powerful union. And so oftentimes that shields them from being um, held accountable for their actions when they have wronged a citizen. So right now it's um, February uh, will be two years that my incident happened and the officers involved have not been uh, reprimanded or held accountable for their actions with me. And then even some of the officers that were involved in my case have also been involved in some of those other wrong rates. And so, you know, they continue to um, operate in the same way in their harm and leaving, you know, children and families harmed. They're leaving this trail of um, hurt and pain and, you know, traumas, uh, traumatizing families and they're not being held accountable for their actions. So that's one thing we've made very public that we want the, the police officers to be held accountable and we want the city to make um, actual policy changes and reform that will put things in place for the future that when officers operate in a way that's not that's not kind, that's not, you know, in in line with their job description to serve and protect, that then the future, then they will um, be reprimanded immediately for their actions. And then we have, we're asking for um, the city to also put into place things that will immediately give uh, people access to public records that we're asking for. So that whole piece about them denying my FOIA request, that should have never happened. And we, you know, so we're we're asking that they respond to people's uh, FOIA requests within 48 hours, if all possible. That sounds fair. I mean, especially, you know, being a fellow social worker, working in the systems, we have all of these things that we do, like we are held accountable, we need to respond to requests within a certain amount of time period. It it sounds reasonable to me. Absolutely. And the crazy part is, is that there are some policies in place, and they're just pieces of paper. No one is enforcing them. 
and and no one is holding people accountable for when they don't follow the policy. Mm-hmm. So what can social workers do to support you and really help, you know, further this um, these changes? So right now, uh, what I'm looking for in support from my fellow social workers and others who want to fight this cause is uh, awareness, right? So making people aware that this happened, because oftentimes people are not even aware that things are like this are happening around them. So being aware and using your voice to educate, especially with social workers. So using your voice to educate the families that we work for, right? Letting them know that they have a right to fight and, um, and helping them to access attorneys that will fight on their behalf and not exploit them. And, um, and making them aware that they, you know, that it's, they shouldn't be ashamed of what happened to them and that, you know, it's appropriate to seek out counseling um, for these issues. And um, one thing that I'm doing with making, you know, my story so public is saying, yes, this happened to me and I'm not ashamed of it and that I'm going to, I'm going to take charge and tell my story my way, right? I'm not going to hide this. I'm not going to let the city hide this, which is what I felt like they were doing when, you know, for so long, nothing was happening. And for a very long time, and I said this to my attorney, um, I just feel like nothing is happening and they're getting away with it. And I know that so many people feel that way, you know, and that happens when people don't speak up and when you don't have the support that you need. So I'm going to continue to make myself public and make my story public and even, you know, make myself available for people to reach out to me and um, and have someone that could support them through this process if they wanted to. Wow. Wow. And Jeanette, I love that. I just got chills, you know, listening to you talk because you just fully embody what social workers are and do and the you know unfortunately part of your story is the failure of the system and I'm just like in awe of your courage and your vulnerability and your passion for advocacy around this and I'm so sorry that this happened but it sounds like God is going to do you know really powerful things with your story and I'm just, I'm just so grateful to be part of your journey and to be able to give you another platform to just share, share your story and share this call to action. You can be sure I'm putting this out there, you know, the call to action to fellow social workers and people who are passionate about systematic change. So thank you so much. No, um, thank you, Catherine, for um, inviting me to speak and share my story um, on your podcast. It's exactly what I need in in this season of me taking on this cause is um, other people allowing me to speak and and share on their platform so we can continue to reach um, more and more people. And my hope is that, you know, my story will give someone courage to step up and say, this has happened to me, but I didn't know what to do about it. And I want to be able to to share my story with people and say, hey, you may not be in the city of Chicago, but if you reach out to me, I'll work with you to find the right people in your city, in your state that will support you through this process. Because 
this should never had happened to me and this should never happen to anyone in any city where you're being harmed by the very people who your tax dollars are paying to serve and protect you and that um, this systematic issue of of racism and corruption and inequities, um, you know, in illegal acts and injustice things that are happening to people, it's not okay. And at some point, we have to be strong enough to say enough is enough. Yes, yes, enough is enough. I we we've had this conversation for so long, and it's been two years, almost two years since this happened. And I enough and enough is enough. Yes. Yes. So I did want to do another like kind of uh, top shift. I don't know. (laughs) Question for you. I saw that you have cafe social work. Um, I was on your LinkedIn. Can you tell me about this? So it's and it's so interesting. So cafe social work is my consulting business that I started almost two years ago. And um. So Cafe Social Work was birthed out of me as a social worker, um, just trying to figure out what was next steps in my life. And um, and I tell people my retirement plan. Right. So I've been a social worker for over 25 years and I'm starting to think about like what does retirement look like for me? Um, but also what does it look like for me um, to continue to do what I love as a social worker? And so um, over the years, I've always mentored and support, supported new social workers and offered, you know, my wisdom and advice uh, for my many years in the profession. And so I started my company so that I'm able to offer support and services to new social workers, as well as seasoned social workers who just may need some support in the field. Right. So we know social work um, is a very um passionate but also um hard um area to work in as it relates to like self-care and taking care of yourself and then also just knowing all the ins and outs of social work when you're a new social worker and I tell people when I was in my when I was early on in my career there was so many things that I didn't know and there there wasn't a one there wasn't like one person or a place that I could go to to get information, to get support, to help me, to guide me through my career. And so I was uh, passionate about offering that to other social workers um, because I knew what it meant for me to struggle through this um, career path and not have the support to get to where it is that I was trying to go. And so that's what my company does. I offer support to um, social workers in the area of of tutoring um, as it relates to like getting your license and understanding that process. I do coaching for social workers who just need someone to kind of help navigate them through their career. I provide clinical supervision because we know as social workers, not every job that we have has a clinical social worker there for us to get our hours or even someone to a clinical social worker that can help us through the process of dealing with things when we're working with our clients. So that's what my company Cafe Social Work does. And what I say was so interesting about it as it relates to this incident that I had with the city of Chicago, as I'm planning for my full public launch of my business, 
this incident happens a few weeks before mm-hmm. that. So I had planned to launch, to officially publicly launch my company on March 16th. And this incident happened on February Oh my 25th. gosh. Yes. And so um, there was a part of me which just kind of stuck in like, you know, dealing with the, the traumatic situation that I had just experienced. And, um, and I spent a few weeks just numb to everything, right? So no work, no people, no anything, just numb trying to manage what I had just experienced. But there was a passion in me that I said to myself, I refuse to allow this situation to derail you know, all my hard work that I had just put into putting this company together and, you know, spending time writing out stuff and working with website people and getting all of my printed materials together. And I had rented a space to do a lunch party. And so all of this work that I had put into it was now kind of put on hold a couple of weeks before it was supposed to happen. And so I, you know, I can I mustered up enough strength to move forward. In the sense that I still launched my party on, um, I still launched my business on March 16th, and um, and I'm and I'm thankful that I did because my business has been going well, and so I'm doing what I love and I'm passionate about, and I'm still helping other people in the midst of dealing with all of the, you know, trauma that I've experienced with this situation, and I tell people that it's not easy. So I'm not bragging like, yay, I did it. I'm just saying that I found a way to still push forward. And if I had to say anything, you know, to people who are experiencing, you know, traumatic situations, regardless of what it is, whether it's at the hands of the justice system or whether, you know, it's uh, dealing with a life-threatening disease or illness or diagnosis, whatever it may be, you have to find something that matters enough to push you forward. I'm just in awe of you because I know, you know, also as being a fellow entrepreneur, I know how mentally taxing and stressful it is to be starting your own business. And that in collaboration with a recent trauma, oh my gosh, and Jeanette, like hats off to you, girl. You just inspire me so, so much. Well, thank you, Um I, w- I definitely say that um, my strength comes from, you know, my faith and having a supportive community. And I realize that when I think about all the families who've had the same experience that I've had here in Chicago and maybe in other places, I realize that I am blessed and fortunate to have the support team that I have, right? So when this situation happened on a Thursday night, I was able to connect with my attorney on Sunday. So just a couple of days later and to be able to connect with a um, competent um, attorney who I knew and trusted from day one of meeting him and then also having the support from my church and, you know, being able to connect with a therapist. I don't take for granted that not everyone has that type of support immediately, if at all. And so I want to make sure that I'm doing my part to connect people in that way, because I know that not everyone has that type of experience the way I did. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
It's all about the relationships, all about the relationships. You are always welcome on the Social Workers Rise podcast. Any way that I can support you, girl, let me know. And I did just want to reiterate, you know, your call to action for us fellow social workers. One, we're going to increase the awareness that this happened to Anjanette Young and to other families in Chicago. It's not right. We're going to use our voice to educate. We're going to continue for the right to fight. We're um, going to the right to fight to, you know, that families have the right to fight when this happens to them and just be able to connect families with attorneys that are going to have their best interests at heart and encourage families to, to seek counseling. Um, did I miss anything? No, that's absolutely what I would, uh, that's absolutely what I would end with as, and that's what I want um, fellow social workers to do to support me and to support other families that may have this experience and not just here in the city of Chicago, but everywhere. Yes. Yes, definitely. Where can people keep in touch with you and Jeanette? So the best place to find me, um, if you want to reach out to me directly, you can uh, reach me at cafe social work at gmail.com. It's my email address where people can reach me directly You can um, check out my website um, for social work supported services at cafesocialwork.com. And then I'm on all social media. Twitter is Cafe Social Work 1. Instagram is Cafe Social Work. And Facebook is Anjanette Young or Cafe Social Work. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. And it was an absolute pleasure. You take care. Thank you so much, Catherine, and thank you for allowing me to speak at, um, on your podcast today. Of course. Take care. Bye, Anjanette. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If this episode helped you, please help me spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share that you're listening. Tag me on social media. I love it. I will repost and reshare. I love it. Social currency is free, but it is so valuable. Also, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. I really do respond. I really do love it when you give me your feedback. Lastly, This is not therapeutic advice or business advice or any other kind of personalized advice. To get that, you definitely need me as your coach. So please, again, reach out to me on Instagram. I can't wait till next week. I will see you then. All the love. Bye.